welcome to the Dr. Frankavilla Show. I'm your host, Dr. Carolyn Frankavilla, board-certified family physician and diplomate of the American Board of Obesity Medicine. I've been helping patients lose weight to treat and prevent medical problems for the last 10 years, and I'm taking what I've learned from them to you. In this podcast, you will learn the science behind why you struggle with your weight and what to do about it, tips for common challenges, work to fight bias about what a healthy weight really is, and improve your relationship with food and your body. Please remember that while I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. This podcast is meant to be informational in nature only, not medical advice. Please seek out care from your physician for your specific needs. Okay, let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Dr. Frank Avila Show. Today, we are talking about a medical condition that many patients with obesity may discover they actually have called lipedema. And to talk about this today, I have brought an expert on the topic of both obesity and lipedema with us today, Dr. Nicholas Pennings. Um, Dr. Nicholas Pennings is a chair and associate professor of family medicine at Campbell University. He's board certified with a fellowship designation in family medicine and obesity medicine. Dr. Pennings contributes to continuing medical education for clinicians in practice through his role as the executive director of clinical education for the Obesity Medicine Association. And he has a particular interest in a condition called lipedema, and has served for one of the authors for the standards of care for lipedema in the U.S. So thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Pennings. Well, thank you for having me. How did you get involved in the field of obesity medicine? What was your interest there? How did you find that field? So what got me interested in obesity medicine was really through treating my patients. I was in primary care in New York State in a private practice, and I did that for 22 years. And I actually always had a focus on health and wellness. That's why I pursued uh, an osteopathic education. And one of the things I was always very interested in was smoking cessation. And what we saw over time was that smoking cessation rates went down but obesity rates went up at the same time. So while I was helping my patients get healthier on one hand, I was also seeing this problem of obesity, which was a real challenge. And one of the things that was interested to me was that as I learned how to counsel people on smoking cessation, I found that the reasons why people smoke are often very similar to the reasons why people eat. They're happy, they're sad, they're bored, other people are doing it. So, means of fellowship or companionship. And so a lot of the behavioral techniques really overlap very well with that. And so I started looking for ways to help my patients lose weight and started a program in my office that worked out really well and I was finding great success with that. So I decided that I wanted to pursue getting board certified in this. And I also wanted to pursue teaching. It was always something I wanted to be part of my career to go into teaching. And so I was able to get an opportunity to teach at Campbell. I started here 10 years ago. And one of the things that really excited me is I was able to incorporate obesity education into the curriculum because it was a brand new school and I had the opportunity to help develop the curriculum and was able to include obesity as part of that curriculum. I, I love that so much. And I think we've talked on this podcast before with some of my other guests about how there's really not enough education about obesity in the standard medical curriculum. I actually looked back and realized I had more than most people had because 
I was taught by Dr. Dan Bessesen, who is an endocrinologist who is just the president of the Obesity Society. And I was like, wow, I actually got more than I think the average med student. And I still got very little training on this in med school. So thank you for helping to educate the next generation and, and pushing all of that forward. And probably most of you are listening to this, but if you are watching this on YouTube, you'll see that Dr. Pennings has a camel behind him as a picture, which you don't see every day. And I just learned that Campbell University, their mascot is, is a camel, and that is why there's a camel behind him. So maybe a good reason to uh, check us out on YouTube so you can see that. Um, so tell us about this condition of lipedema and what lipedema is. So it is actually my introduction to this came from one of my students who was asking me about it. I knew nothing about this. And this was about eight years ago and started to learn more about it. Uh, we actually had a, a speaker come in, uh, a surgeon from Germany to do a presentation to the students. And uh, he spent the, the day with me in the clinic and we had a whole bunch of patients we went through. So I got some of my early exposure and training to lipedema. Uh, and our understanding of this condition has evolved. And it is a condition that has really certain characteristics that we look for, uh, one of which is that there's a family history you know, of this condition. And it's a condition where we see a markedly disproportionate bilaterally symmetrical increase in deposition of not just fat, it's a combination of fat and fibrotic and nodular tissue and lymphatic congestion, but we see it uh, typically in the lower torso. So it's going to typically involve the buttocks, the hips, the thighs, it can go down to the ankles, sometimes up to the lower abdomen, and also can involve the arms. This tissue is tends to expand rather rapidly and, as I said, disproportionately. So women will have a fairly normal amount of body fat in their upper body, in their chest, their back, their face, um, their upper abdomen. But then you see this kind of exaggeration of the commonly referred to as pear shape that we see with women. So uh, we often see this happening during periods of hormonal change. Puberty, pregnancy, menopause are big factors, sometimes with hormonal uh, therapies for contraception and the such uh, can be triggers for that. The tissue is often very kind of boggy and heavy. It's fibrotic. And so it's more, like I said, it's more than just fat that's being deposited here. We'll feel this nodularity to it, this uh, sometimes like feeling a bag of peas or even a bag of rice where it has mm -hmm. this nodularity and it's tender. Women will complain that if their cat jumps on their lap, the paws of the cat just are exquisitely painful. They can't hold a child on their lap because it hurts so much. So those are like a lot of really like technical descriptions, but like this is someone who, and it is predominantly women who get lipedema, mm -hmm. is that correct? Um, yeah. Who, you know, have sort of legs that are a lot larger than their other body parts, right? They seem to be gaining a lot of weight in their legs, more so than their, their abdomen, their belly, their arms. And that 
weight gain in their legs may be this condition called lipedema. And it sounds like it's tender. It feels a little different. It can feel a little more lumpy, bumpy feeling. There may be a family history. So you may look and say like, yeah, a lot of the women in my family have really big legs or struggle with weight gain in their legs. That may be something different than than sort of, you know, regular weight gain that we treat with just diet and exercise. Is that kind of what you're saying here? Yes. You know, the classic thing, do you have the, you know, quote unquote, Smith family legs, you know, that typical uh, pattern that will exist in a mother, an aunt, a sister. And so you'll see uh, women members of the family, either on the maternal or paternal side. So it can be handed down through either side of the family. And so it does, it grows disproportionately. And it also, when dietary interventions are taken, when you're trying to lose weight through diet or even with medications or even bariatric surgery, that weight doesn't change much. That very often the central weight, the chest abdomen kind of weight goes down, but the legs don't change. And in general, as an obesity physician, as well as on this podcast, I always talk about weight loss being about improving health. And so a lot of times that's the reason that we will recommend someone lose weight or assist them with losing weight. And so, you know, if someone has this lipedema and they're going through that treatment and they're, again, they're not losing weight in their legs as expected, they're losing it other places, that could be a sign that they have it. But does this weight loss need to occur in the legs? Like what should someone who has lipedema expect? Like how do they, you know, treat this? Well, one thing is a little bit different in women with lipedema versus women with um, generalized obesity is we don't see as much of the, what we typically refer to as metabolic dysfunction. We don't see right. as much diabetes, right. high blood pressure, high triglycerides, those kind of metabolic dysfunctions we don't usually see. Uh, we see more the mass effect, right? So the the, the knees, the arthritis, uh, the joint pains that are associated with that are something that's more common to be seen in women with lipedema. And the reason why we seek treatment for it is really because it is painful. It impairs mobility. It is hard to just, you know, do different everyday tasks. Sitting can be difficult because that tissue is so tender. It hurts the buttocks to sit in a chair all day when if you have a job that requires that. And so you see sort of a progressive decline in mobility and strength uh, and an increase in pain, which can really impact quality of life. So what are some of the, the treatment options for lipedema? So the dietary interventions that seem to work most or best would be uh, reducing carbohydrates, that low carbohydrate diets tend to be the best and anti-inflammatory type diets. So a Mediterranean diet, a DASH diet tend to be most beneficial. A paleo diet? Paleo, I, that would fit into that category. Absolutely. So reducing carbohydrates seem to be the most effective. And I think a lot of that is related to insulin. We know that insulin you know, plays an important role uh, not just in sugar metabolism, but in fat metabolism. Mm. And these women that have lipedema have very low insulin levels, which tells me they're very insulin sensitive. Mm. So when they're consuming carbohydrates, their insulin sensitivity means they'll store those carbohydrates in those fat tissues very effectively. Okay. Um, 
And so reducing carbohydrates is going to reduce insulin level, and that's going to facilitate the release of fat uh, in those tissues. So I do see improvement with it, but not always so much a big change in size, but women say their legs feel better. Feel better. They don't feel as heavy. They don't feel as tender. They don't feel as swollen. And it sounds like that's really a lot of the goal with lipedema because when we're focusing on weight around the belly, that central adiposity, as we like to call it, that that weight around the belly, that's the weight that tends to increase risk of heart attacks and raise blood pressure and have high cholesterol and sleep apnea and polycystic ovarian syndrome and all the metabolic effects of weight. The This lipedema, this painful weight gain in your legs is not having an impact on that, but it's painful, right? Which is like our first job as doctors to treat, right? Like how do we get people to, to just feel better and have a better, you know, quality of life? And so it sounds like by reducing carbohydrates, having a more anti-inflammatory diet, that is one way that someone may reduce pain and symptoms from this. Yes. So some of the other things that can be helpful, many women find improvement with utilizing phentermine. That that seems to have a particular benefit in the lymphatic flow, in the vascular changes that are associated with lipedema and can help contribute to weight loss and contribute to changes in size uh, to their legs. And then, of course, there's a lot of interest around the newer medications, the uh, GLP-1, GIP, the, the way You're Govi. You're not teaching students here. Yeah, you can say the yeah. names. <laughs> yeah, the way Govi and Zepbound uh, that are, are very uh, popular, that get a lot of attention now. Ozempic and Monjero being the, the names are used for diabetes. Um, in terms of them being very specific at, at being able to reduce the deposits of fat in the legs, I don't really see a big change in size uh, with those. We do see weight loss with it, but they seem to be very good for generalized obesity. We know that these medications also have a direct impact on fat and how fat forms and the type of fat that's there. And I do hear from women that their legs feel better on the medications. Even if they don't change in size, it seems to maybe having an effect on some of that inflammatory part that is contributing to the pain and discomfort in those legs is improved uh, on the medication. So uh, we see some decrease in size, but more importantly, we see again improvement in the pain and quality of life. So some improvement on those, but it sounds like they're actually not the silver bullet for for lipedema, we don't think right now. No, it doesn't look that way. In the Which number. in some ways is good because that's a it can be a very expensive treatment option. And so it can be frustrating when someone's like, ah, oh, I've heard that's the best thing. Sounds like one of our older, very affordable medications, Ventermine, actually, you know, can work quite well as well for this lipedema. It's definitely something to consider. And then what about metformin? That's something, you know, we often use for patients with insulin resistance. Um, is that something that seems to be helpful at all with lipedema? Well, some of the kind of experience with metformin is that it uh, seems to help with more of that sort of fibrotic component of the tissue. Why does, I don't really know, um, but it can help with that fibrosis that occurs. As we mentioned, it's not just fat, it's this kind of uh, fibrotic tissue that um, is holding that fat together. And that can also be painful. And so that seems to help kind of break that down some. Uh, so that can be beneficial. 
Okay. So I think what I'm hearing is there are definitely treatment options available for lipedema. Yes, uh, that can improve how women you know, feel and can and try to help prevent progression too, which is very important. I've read some places about um, liposuction is sometimes used as a treatment for lipedema. Is that a recommended treatment? What are your thoughts on that? Or is that not ultimately very helpful? So it is very helpful. And it's really the treatment that provides the most symptomatic relief for women. Uh, so that there are different modalities. So there's medications, there's dietary interventions. There's also um, compression stockings, vibration plate, manual lymphatic drainage. All those things help to mobilize the fluid that accumulates in the legs. And that could be beneficial for when, women with lipedema. But the liposuction is, seems to be the most effective technique. The thing is, it's a rather specialized form of liposuction that really needs to be done by people who are experienced with it because they're removing rather large volumes of tissue and they need to be removing them in certain planes that are uh, maybe different from what's usually done with uh, the abdominal liposuction. So that they're really, uh, it should be done in the hands of somebody who's experienced with dealing with this particular condition. Right, someone who's, who's done has experience doing liposuction specifically for lipedema. They may be great at doing liposuction for, you know, belly fat or something else, but right. someone who really has experience in this. Is there a place that someone can find people who are more experienced? Is there a database at all for that or or just sort of word of mouth thing where you're at? Well, there, there are resources. The Lipedema Foundation is a resource that has a great source of information about this condition, as well as people that are involved in treating it. So that is a, a great resource. So that that's one that I would recommend. Okay. So Lipedema Foundation is a place where you can find sort of experts uh, who, who right. may, maybe the liposuction person, but I think I think I've seen like physical therapists and other people on there as well who who may have skills or or a physician in your area who might have an expertise in this. And typically the therapists that are treating lymphedema are also able to treat lipedema. Okay. That's a People often confuse those two things. Uh, lymphedema is, is strictly an issue of, of lymphatic dysfunction, where the lipedema is a little more complex than that. But uh, therapists that treat lymphedema often will treat lipedema as well. I wanted to know, how common is this? Is, do we have data on like what percentage of the population or women are affected by lipedema? So I've seen numbers as high as 10%, but I don't believe those because that the data is actually very limited in that. We don't have kind of, I've tried to analyze some of the NHANES data, which can be a great, you know, uh, database for it, but we can see how many women have lower body fat that's disproportionate, um, but we can't tell whether they have all the other symptoms that, mm. can, that add to the diagnostic criteria for it. So the study around 10% was done in a vascular clinic of women who came in complaining of, of this. So you obviously have a, a very narrow population there. Um, I think more likely a 1% to 2% of the population would probably be my guess, but it's really just a guess. 
Okay. So somewhere between, you know, maybe one to 2% and maybe as high as 10% of the population may have some of this going on, this lipedema. Um, well, I might bug you to see if you have a good picture that I can post um, that kind of shows what this looks like. Because I think when you see it, you you recognize it and you start to, you know, for me, I can see which of my patients had it, which of some of my friends seem to have this. But I think it sounds like one of the big characteristics too is that this is uncomfortable. It's not just weight gain in your legs. It's actually usually uncomfortable. It's painful to some degree too. Yes. Uh, that And that really is the some of the key components there that it is the tissue bruises, it's sensitive, uh, and it really, and one of the other challenges that happens is over time when it's not treated, that women tend to get some loss of muscle mass and progressive weakness around that, which just, you take a heavy leg and then lose muscle, it's going to be really hard to get around. Well, I think we talked about where people can go if they want more resources, which is the Lipedema Foundation. We'll make sure to put the notes in there. Any final thoughts? Um, there's also the um, FDRS, Fat Disorder Research Society, has information about lipedema as well. And then the Standards of Care of Lipedema in the United States is the publication that I was in involved in. And it has actually some really nice uh, images of lipedema in there as well. Perfect. So that would be a great resource to uh, get an, an image that you can post. Great. I'll make sure that ends up in the show notes so people can find out more if they think this is something that's affecting them or a family member. Because again, it's a different type of weight gain and it may not respond as well to, you know, some of the regular weight loss techniques and deserves special treatment. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Pettings. And until next week, take care. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Frankavilla Show, where we learn about all things related to weight and health. If you love this podcast, make sure to leave those five-star reviews and share this podcast with a friend or loved one. If you have a topic about weight and health you want me to tackle, head over to the website, thedrfrankavillashow.com to submit your question. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss next week's episode. Take care.